Have you ever put your foot in it and asked a woman if she's got kids and the response is something like, actually, I can't, I can't have kids? Well, there's a bit of an awkward moment there, isn't there? She's decided not to become a mother. She hasn't not decided to become a mother. She's actually childless, but not by choice. Maybe you are in that situation and you've been on that emotional roller coaster with your partner, 1300 222 720. And has childlessness created gaps in your circle of friends between those who have kids and those who don't? Journalist and mother Justine Davies has compiled the stories of 18 people who can't have children for various reasons and the implications that's had on their relationships, health and emotions. The book is called An Inconceivable Notion, and I spoke to Justine Davies earlier. But there is an awful lot of pressure from friends and family and the media. There's a big media focus on everything parent-related and everything child-related. So whether it's an overt, you really should be having kids pressure, or whether it is just a a more um, subliminal pressure of the sheer volume of media-related things and um, friend-related comments that that are around kids, there's a definite pressure there, Um, particularly for people who I think are wanting to have kids but aren't able to. That pressure can be a really, really um, almost guilt. Guilt's not quite the word I'm looking for, but um, a really intense pressure, I guess, something that really strikes at the heart of them. Well, you spoke to 18 different people and heard some very personal stories about how they are coping with childlessness. One of those people, and you spoke just then about the the guilt that can play on people's minds. One of the participants in your book, An Inconceivable Notion, says the hardest thing about struggling to get pregnant is the cyclic nature of chronic grief. It's like re-grieving every month when, and you get a real reminder that your body isn't doing what you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For the the people who are in that stage, I guess I interviewed people in a number of different stages, some like that interviewee who are currently desperately trying to get pregnant. And she's absolutely right. It's that for the whole month or almost the whole month, she said she was really hoping she was pregnant, she'd be eating properly, she'd be exercising, doing all the right things. There was that real hope there. And then uh, inevitably no, she wasn't pregnant and, and there was that grief, that sense of loss that, oh, that there, isn't, there isn't a life there. I haven't managed to, to fall pregnant. It is that cyclical nature and it's that raw grief um, for the people who are in that situation who I interviewed. For some who are a little bit beyond that, they've accepted that or, well, they've acknowledged that they're not going to have children, they're trying to accept the fact that it isn't going to happen for them, that raw grief, is lessening a bit, but there's more of an anger, a frustration of, well, why does it happen for other people and not for me, and an anger that that that's the situation that they're in. And then for people who are, again, a little bit beyond that, um, perhaps 10 or even 20 years beyond possibly having children, they can look back uh, with regret and say they're still regretful that they didn't have children, but they have found other things to fulfil their life. So as well as that monthly cyclical nature that that interviewer was talking about, there's also the lifelong cyclical nature of going through the raw grief, the anger, the regret, 
finding something else but still having that little bit of regret in your heart down the track as well. And Justine, from all the the interviewees that you spoke to, was there one or two stories that you felt particular empathy for? Not empathy myself because I have children, so it's not a situation I've ever been in. But some of the stories really, uh, I guess, um, played at my heartstrings more than others, particularly the ones particularly the people who I interviewed who are still currently going through that trying to fall pregnant, trying to have a family stage, simply because their emotions are so raw. It is, as you were saying before, that cyclical nature of the grief that they're going through every month. They're desperately trying to get pregnant. It's not happening for them, and it's such a um, a difficult stage of their life, I guess. Um, One lady who has been trying for 16 years, she's, she's gone through so many... Um, IVF cycles that haven't worked. She's had a couple of miscarriages. They've looked into surrogacy and for various health reasons they haven't been able to do that and she's just found out now that no, she is too old to go down the adoption stage. So um, that story in particular really struck at me because she's just been through so much. She's been through pretty much the A to Z of everything that you can go through to try and have a family and been knocked back on every level and is now having to come to terms with, okay, this thing that I've tried for a decade and a half to to have happen isn't going to happen. What am I going to do with my life? But all of them, their, their stories are just all so different but also poignant. And really, it's not something that we talk about as a society very often. We do discuss people's um, choice not to have children, but we don't often acknowledge that there are a large number of people out there who would love to be parents, but haven't been able to. Also, too, the the thing about being childless, not by choice, it's not just a female issue. It's not just women who are desiring children. You spoke to several men for this book. What were some of the stories that the blokes told you about not having children in their lives? Look, I think um, uh, it's possibly a little bit of a different experience for males than females, but I don't think they feel it any less deeply uh, than women do. Interestingly, every single woman that I spoke to as part of my book made the comment that they feel like a failure, which absolutely amazed me because there was a wide cross-section of people that I interviewed, but all of them have amazing qualities. Some had very high-powered, challenging careers. Um, Some of them had amazing uh, travel experiences and hobbies that they do in their life, but they all made the comment that they felt like a failure, which really took me aback uh, that that, um, having children is obviously such an integral thing for us. The men didn't make that comment. They didn't necessarily feel that they were failures, but they felt a huge sense of grief and also incredibly protective towards their partners for all the um, the comments and the questions that their partners were being subjected to by friends and family. You know, we and it's things that we often do ask people, oh, so are you planning on kids or um, you've chosen not to have kids, obviously, little comments that people make that really, I guess, strike at the heart of people who are trying to get pregnant and haven't been able to, the men had a really fierce protectiveness towards their partners about these issues. And poignantly too, Tanya, one of the women you interviewed, says at the start of her story, secretly, and I have never ever told my husband this, she writes, but I'm scared that one day he could leave me for someone who would be able to give him children. Mm, Actually, that was a comment that was made by several of the women. Um, who I interviewed. I think women 
tend to, as I said, they all made the comment that they felt like a failure, which when you look at their lives as a whole, they're very, very obviously not. They've got all these other amazing things happening in their life. But having kids is such an, an integral part of their lives that they just feel that their life has been a failure, which is incredible. Um, and so and several... which is, it, it's not right or wrong, but it's, oh, how sad that someone would feel that way. That's right, exactly. It's not right or wrong, it's the way that they feel, but it is terrible that they do feel that way, that, that they've failed um, in, this, in their life because of this, this one basic biological thing. But several of the women did make the comment that they were scared about their relationship breaking up, that their husband might leave them uh, and go on to have children with somebody else. And actually one of the women interviewed, Catherine, uh, she's the one who, who I was saying has been trying for 16 years, um, she said her husband did go through a period for about three years where he really did weigh up whether to stay in the relationship. And this will sound bad to, to listeners who haven't read the story, but I guess because they'd just been going through it for so many years, he weighed up whether to stay in this relationship that he was very happy in, but which lacked children, or whether to leave and find somebody else who he could have children with. And she said in the event he decided to stay and working through that together made their relationship a, a lot stronger. But I suppose it, it is a real issue for some people, um, particularly men who are desperately wanting children, that perhaps they, they can think, well, I could have children, just not with this person who I love and who I'm with now. And that is a decision that they have to make. Justine, is there anything positive that readers can take from an inconceivable notion? The overall message is very positive. The people who I interviewed who were 10 or 20 years beyond having children are all happy. They've all um, reassess gone through a period of reassessing their lives and finding meaning in other ways. And interestingly, a number of them have gone into child-related occupations. One lady travels overseas every couple of years to volunteer her time in orphanages, um, helping children overseas. One's a volunteer for the Pajama Foundation, which uh, was set up to... Um, help disadvantaged children by going around reading to them, providing them with books and that sort of thing. Several have gone into the education field, teaching children um, speech therapy and teaching in the classroom and that sort of thing. But they've all found very meaningful things to do with their lives. And I've sort of, I guess I liken it to losing a loved one. If you lose a, a parent or a sibling or something like that, you go through a period of intense grief that they're not there and then usually a period of anger, why did this happen, it's not fair. And a number of years down the track, you're happy, you're finding your own peace in your life and finding other things to do. You might always have regret in your heart that they're not there, but you can still be happy in your life. And I guess that's the same with these people in, their bo in the book, that they've gone on to be very happy in their life, even if they've still got a bit of regret in their heart that they never had children. But it is an overall positive message. Justine Davies, the editor of An Inconceivable Notion. Anne, good afternoon uh, to you. Uh, hello. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I just made um, the first comment. Uh, sometimes people regret having had children. <laughs> yes, that's a good flip <laughs> it's side. It's not always the one way. <laughs> and I think sometimes people who um, spend their life regretting not having had children are really regretting an ideal rather than what the reality might have been. Um, that's not to say that children don't bring great joy to our lives. They do, but they also bring a lot of stress and trials as well. Mm. So that was one thing. And the other thing was a lot of the interviews seemed to imply 
or focus that, that the, it's the women who are having the problems conceiving whereas it can be just that combination of the couple or it can in fact be something with the man. Absolutely and there's a couple of stories in this particular book from uh, men they're sharing their personal story about why they can't have children whether it's uh, an issue with their their own medical situation or whether it's their partners so absolutely it, it takes two to tango as they say and <laughs> thanks for calling in and uh, Linda what uh, what's on your mind about this particular topic? Um, well, basically, um, for a group of my female friends and I that are like approaching thirty six, thirty seven, and don't have partners, uh, we don't want the option of a sperm donor because uh, we do believe that two people should raise the child, and the fact that. Adoption is not uh, a possibility past 40, as I was explained by my GP, which I find fairly discriminative. <laughs> so, yeah, there's not a lot of options. And, I mean, who knows? Prince Charming may never come. So Yeah, you can't, you can't rely on him these days, or Princess Charming if you... That's if you're... right. But I find that, especially for the female friends of mine and I that are studying, we kind of feel that financially we'd probably be in a better situation to adopt at 38 or 40, and it's a shame that the cutoff is 40. Oh, that's uh, an interesting point. Thank you for raising that this afternoon, Linda. Good to talk with you.